If you would, this morning, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 13. And while you're turning, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is not uh, just a bunch of instruction. It is spirit and it is life, Lord. Speak to us. Our Father and our God, tell us, Lord, what you would want to communicate to us that we would uh, glean from it, that we would be able to uh, not only understand it, Lord, but take it into our hearts. God, even as we uh, picture that in a sense with communion this morning, taking your truth into our hearts, that it might impact us from this day forward. We thank you. We give you all the glory and honor, Lord. Your awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 13. Looking again at this uh, night, the night of the Last Supper, the night where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, just so, so much in here. So let's let's begin at verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As we've talked about the last couple of weeks, this this act of washing the disciples' feet is just, just packed full of meaning, ultimately providing for us a beautiful picture of the awesome God who lays aside his glory, if you will, and wraps himself in human flesh, uh, washing away the dirt and the stink of our sin. Hmm. God is good. But also setting an example, even as Jesus said, for his followers, uh, for all of his disciples, from the 12 all the way up to us and beyond, right? How to get over ourselves and serve others. Even those like Judas, we talked about last week, who absolutely didn't deserve Jesus' grace, but he gives it anyway, right? And we said that Jesus could do this because of the things he knew, things that didn't change by other people's thoughts or words or actions. Therefore, Jesus could be that servant regardless of what others thought or said or did or didn't do. So what are the things that Jesus knew? Look at it again, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. We talked about that last week. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus saw the big picture. He saw what his responsibility was in conveying the love of God to the world, in in going to the cross. All of his words, all of his actions were guided by that purpose because it was all in his hands, 
right? It all rested upon what he did. So seeing that purpose, it guided him. What else did he know? Keep reading. And that he had come from God. Stop there. He knew that he had come from God. In other words, Jesus knew who he was, right? He knew who he was. He knew his identity in all of its facets. Philippians says he didn't consider being equal with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't need to play the God card. He didn't need to play the Messiah card. He didn't need to say, hey, I'm important here, right? He didn't need anyone to recognize or affirm his position. He knew who he was. And again, that didn't change whether anybody else acknowledged it or not. Can I say this this morning? Beware of title freaks. Beware of the one who says, hey, it's pastor so-and-so, right? Or the holy right reverend so-and-so, right? Yes, I personally believe that titles are fitting in certain settings. For example, you're in the waiting room at the doctor's office, right? You're going to refer to this person as Dr. So-and-so. Right? But if you're good friends with that doctor, you've been you know, seeing them for a long time, maybe know them socially, when you get in the exam room, you use the first name. It's no big deal, right? Stuff like that. Um, I think around children as well, I think using titles is, uh, it, it models respect for a position, for the work that went into getting that position, and I think that's something that sadly we're losing in our culture. I remember years ago, you know, it was like um, I would, my kids would call our uh, peers, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, and they'd say, oh, no, that's my father. You just call me Jim. And it's like, no, no, I want my children to learn respect. Help me out here. You're not Jim. They're eight, you know. Um, so anyway, I think in certain settings, Titles are important. But if someone needs that constant affirmation from their title or they use their title to lord it over other people, that ought to be a red flag. Jesus didn't need that. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus was totally secure in who he was. And that was one of the reasons that he could become a servant. Because in becoming a servant, in taking a towel, in washing dirty feet, that didn't change the truth, right? He didn't need to keep up some kind of image, I'm above washing feet, right? That didn't change the fact that he was worthy of worship. As a matter of fact, I believe it added to the fact of his worthiness, right? It was not a weakness, it was a strength. Look at it this way. What, what do you think of, let's say, a brilliant CEO of a company who, whose sole motivation for building that company was to become filthy rich versus someone who develops 
a, a large company in order to provide a product or service that enriches the lives of other people, that provides other people opportunities for good jobs that helps them to grow and succeed. Which CEO do you admire more? Chick-fil-A, there you go. You see where we're going? Likewise, one of the reasons that we so admire Jesus Christ is that he condescended, as the song says. He became a servant. He humbled himself to, to die upon the cross for you and for me, to hang there like a common criminal for the sake of us, for our good. That doesn't diminish him. That exalts him, doesn't it? So, Jesus, he, he didn't come to earth and say, bow down before me or I'll strike you dead. Although he could have, right? He could have twitched his little finger. <laughs> Poof, right? Absolutely. But no, Matthew 20, 28 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus knew who he was, he could humble himself and serve. And if you and I, as born-again believers in Jesus, can get a hold of who we are, who we really are in Christ as God's children, what God says about us, if we can become absolutely secure in our true worth, in the security of God's unconditional love, in the security of his promises to us, of his sovereign control over our lives. Do you know what that'll mean? It'll mean we won't have to compare ourselves to others. We won't have to look better than others. We won't have to be more talented or successful than other people. We won't have to have more stuff than the next person. We won't have to wear masks. We won't have to keep up appearances. We won't need to gossip or reveal the faults of others or put others down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or make ourselves look better in front of other people than someone else. Anybody recognizing this stuff that we do? Guilty is charged, right? We won't need others to show us how important we are or get mad if they dare cut us off in traffic or feel less than because someone didn't take and put my feelings in the top priority in a situation. We won't need to be right all the time or get mad if, if, if everybody doesn't do it the way we wanted it to be done. Do you see where we're going? All of these things that we do, don't we? All of these things bring so much negativity and conflict into our lives, don't they? And relationships. And much of it stems from our own insecurity. Our own insecurity. We got to compare. We got to. We got to look a little better. We got to have a little more. We got to put other people. All these things 
because we're insecure. And we're all there at some level. Some level. How much of it stems from our own insecurity, number one, and number two, how much we actually depend on the words and actions of others to feed that security. We're junkies. Really, we're junkies. We depend, our our sense of well-being so often hangs on what other people think of us, what other people, you know, how they perceive us, how they treat us. They're treating us good, we're, we're doing, and we feel good about ourselves. Somebody looks at us sideways, doesn't do what we want, etc. Our self-esteem, boom, down the toilet. We depend so much on that. We get our feathers ruffled. We need others to show us that we're valuable and lovable and admirable. And when they don't, and you know why they don't? Because they're so concerned about getting all that stuff for themselves. Right? Then we get hurt, we get mad, we hurt back, and then they feel insecure, and the whole thing is a downward spiral, and the devil laughs all the way to the bank. But instead of depending on others, if you and I can get a hold of what God says about us, instead of depending on the the, uh, opinions of, of others that is based, that is often up and down and up and down and often based in incomplete knowledge, what if our whole sense of well-being comes from the only one who knows us inside and out, knows the absolute truth, always speaks the absolute truth, and tells us who we really are. If we can grab a hold of that, understand it, ingest it, and walk in it, boy, won't things change. Then you and I can be free. We can be free of all the stuff that we do to try to feel better about ourselves because it's there, it's constant. And we can be free to build others up. We can be free to enrich the lives of other people, to love them, to serve them. Watch this, whether or not they respond in kind. Luke 6.35, Jesus says, but love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Why? Because he's secure. Because he's God, no matter what other people do. He knows who he is. And because when and so when we know who we are, really know who we are, we can get over ourselves and we can be free to serve others. So how do we come to really know who we are? Romans 12:2, familiar verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal 
of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Where do we renew our minds? In the truth of the word of God. In the truth of the word of God. If this book sits on the shelf, we're not going to renew our minds. We're not going to renew our minds Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. We've got to get into this book and see what God says about us and grab a hold of that truth and ingest that truth, to read it, to meditate on it, to think about it, to pray over it until that truth comes off of that page and becomes a part of us. That's being transformed. And it's a process. I'm still in the process. How about you? It's a process. You don't just, okay, you know, God says, I'm his child, I'm loved, and all of a sudden I just, you know, walk in the freedom of that starting Monday. It doesn't work that way. Number one, because it takes a while to transform. I've used this uh, illustration before. Vinyl records are coming back, so people can kind of know what what they are. Um, But they have grooves in them, right? And they play the same old song all over and over and over. Every time you put the needle, it's going to play the same song, not something different. Same thing with our minds. If our minds are going to get renewed, if we're going to start thinking differently about ourselves based on what God says about us, we got to bump that needle out of that groove. we got to cut some new grooves. And we cut those grooves prayerfully before God with his open word, saying, God, speak to me. Tell me who I am. That song from Supertramp going through my mind. Please tell, you know, please tell me who I am. Right? Who are we? Why are we here? It's all in there. It's all in the book. That's how we get to know. And and the the other reason why it's a process is because every day, the television, the media, Facebook, Everything is telling us, hey, if you're going to be secure, if you're going to feel good, you got to look like this. You got to have this. You got to be like this person, you know, who takes a picture of their of their nice kitchen, you know, with, without anything out of place. And that's the thing they post on Facebook. Ten minutes later, it's a mess. But now everybody looks at that and goes, wow, my kitchen doesn't look like that. Right? My car doesn't look like that. My life doesn't look like that. Look at all those smiling faces, you know. Uh, it's not real, but it communicates over and over and over. You're less than, you're not as good at, and we go into that same cycle over and over and over. We got to spend as much time in this book getting from God as we are getting from the world. Boy, if we, if, if, if we could just spend as much time, if we could make a commitment to spend as much time in the Word as we, if, as we do scrolling through Facebook. Wow. Would that make... <laughs> Did I say that? Renewing our mind. So it's a battle. It's a battle. Because we, we'll, we'll go to prayer one morning and God says, you're, you're loved, you're valuable, you're my child. And then we have an experience in the day where, where somebody treats us rudely or badly or, you know, like we don't amount to anything. What are we going to believe? 
Are we going to believe the truth? Or are we going to believe the information coming to us from a fellow faulty human being? And we have a tendency to focus on our fellow faulty human beings, don't we? I'm reminded, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm reminded, you know, here was Israel on, on, the, on the precipice of the promised land, right? They send the 12 spies in. Ten of them come back. Oh, there's giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers compared to these guys. We'll never make it. Joshua and Caleb are like, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't the same God who brought us out of Egypt with all of these miracles and signs, didn't he just tell us to go in? Hello? Let's go in, right? But the Bible says they believed the report of the ten spies. So here's the question. Whose report will you believe? Where are you getting your truth? Where are you getting your sense of identity? Okay. I I put out some sheets. They're probably still in the back uh, if you did not get one. Uh, Our identity... Kathleen's holding them up there. Our identity in Christ, things that the Bible says about us. Take take those, they're, they're highlights. Take them. Look at those verses in context. I'm going through them uh, on, on the website, expounding on them a bit in, in a series of blog posts that I'm doing. Just keeping that information going. Who are we? Uh, so that we can renew our minds in the word of God. So then we can be free to forget all the nonsense and get to the business of loving and serving our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Oh, Lord, once again, thank you for your word. What an, what an awesome gift, Lord. I, how many times has this Bible been attacked and and tried to be discredited and tried to be stamped out by by rulers and stuff like that. And yet here we have the word of God available to us. Again, Lord, your word is spirit and it is life. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Tell us who we are, that we can rest upon that truth and walk in the security and confidence of that and love our neighbor and love you. Uh, We praise you for it, Lord. Have your way in our hearts and lives, we pray. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen.